The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 9. The word of God speaks to us. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as to a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This is God's word to us. Well, good morning, everybody. If you think it's hard to hear or to read, you should preach it. <laughs> hey, my, my name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm really, really glad to be here with you and honored to preach this text with you, actually. If we haven't had the chance to meet, it might be because I'm new, and I'd, I'd love to meet you, or it might be because you're new, and I'd love to meet you either way. Grab me after the service. I'm, I'd like to say I'm not as awkward as I look, but I am as awkward as I look, but uh, I, I'm, at least I'd like to think I'm kind. So let's, uh, love the, I'd love the chance to meet with you. I mean, I, I, I love Jesus, I love God's word, and I love the opportunity I get to follow him together with you, and I love the humbling opportunity I have this morning to sit with you under his word. So let's pray, and uh, we'll ask God for help. Father, my burden all morning as I've prayed for myself and my brothers and sisters has been that you would bring times of refreshing to us through this word. And I realize that that, that language comes from Sermon in Acts 3, where the word is preached and the response is, hey, you should repent of your sins so that times of refreshing may come. God, where sexual sin exists in this room, I ask that you would bring about repentance so that times of refreshing could come. But I also realize that there's brothers and sisters in this room who, when it comes to this topic, they bear the pain and the burdens of the sexual sins of others. And I ask that you would bring healing to my friends there. Let times of refreshing come. God, maybe where it's not an issue of sin sexually, but confusion, or we just feel locked up and isolated. Would you let times of refreshing come? So Holy Spirit, I'm asking you that you would come and orchestrate the time we have here. Would you lead us, would you guide us? Would you bind Satan? 
and all of his schemes to distract, to rob truth, or to distort it. Speak to us in Jesus' name and help us and help me, I ask. Amen. I want to start with a quote for you this morning. This is Tolstoy, your good pal Tolstoy. Listen to what Tolstoy says. Man survives earthquakes, epidemics, the horrors of disease, and all the agonies of the soul. But for all time, his most tormenting tragedy has been, is, and will be the tragedy of the bedroom. That was true for Tolstoy. It was true in Corinth. And it's true in Oklahoma City right now. If you think about Corinth, not Tolstoy, these people were plagued by sexual confusion and divergent sexual opinions of every kind. I mean, the the most predominant views preached in Corinth were on the one hand, people saying, hey, sex is just an appetite. In the same way you get hungry or get thirsty, you need sex, so you should treat sex just like cheeseburgers and have as many as you can handle, says one view. Another view says, hey, sex at best is a distraction, and at worst, it's destructive. If you want to be truly spiritual and you want to be truly holy, you should abandon sex altogether. And though the specifics of sexual confusion are different in our moment, let's be honest and say the sexual confusion in our current moment is as high as it's ever been. Here's the amazing thing. Paul presents to us a vision of sexuality, of marriage, and of singleness that is radical and radically liberating. And and as he does so, he breaks down what we might consider to be typical religious understandings of sex, or maybe you just have preconceived notions of what you think God has to say about sex, and I would invite you to consider that what Paul offers us here in God's word is freedom, total freedom. And here's the essence of what he says in this revolutionary word about sex and marriage and singleness. He, he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 9, that marriage and singleness are both a gift with amazing benefits and amazing liabilities that all have to be stewarded. Sex isn't something that's lorded or accumulated or manipulated. Something that has to be stewarded. And those who are married have very specific obligations sexually, and those who are not married have very specific obligations sexually. And and as Paul speaks into this world, I'm gonna say this a couple of times, man, and my prayer is that some of you, by God's grace, would take hold of it. As Paul speaks into this world, the corrective words he brings are healing words. God's not trying to bind any of us up. 
God's not trying to keep any of us away from fun. God's not trying to make any of us Puritan, puritanical prudes. God actually desires our joy in this moment now, but more important than that, he desires it forever. So like what we have here is not an archaic word. It's not a binding word. It's not an insane word. It's a healing word from God himself to correct and to straighten and to mend and to restore what's been lost. So here's how I wanna frame up our time. I just have two points I wanna highlight for you that Paul really just lays out in his own logic. First of all, I want us to talk about stewarding the gift of sex within marriage. Stewarding the gift of sex within marriage. And secondly, I wanna talk about stewarding the gift of singleness or abstaining from sex as we steward a singleness. But before we get into these two points, I wanna make sure we understand the broad context of what Paul is anchoring his words to us in these nine verses to, and what he's anchoring them beyond that, like, like both what precedes and what follows, if that makes sense. So look back in your Bibles if you closed them or if you need to open your phone and scan to that spot. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter six, and I just want you to look there. And, and as you look there, let me maybe tell you for the first time or remind you what we've been talking about every week. Corinth was plagued by moral mayhem and sexual insanity. And, and I don't mean bands that were touring Corinth. I mean actual conditions of moral mayhem and sexual insanity is what plagued this city and this church. You have a spirit of free sex on the one hand and anti-sex on the other hand. And the problem is the people who should have been pro-sex were actually functioning as anti-sex people and the people that should have understood the sex didn't exist for them at that moment were the pro-sex people. And it's into this place that Paul speaks the word. And he anchors everything we talk about in 7, 1 to 9 in what's gone before in chapter 6, verse 12 to 20 when he tells us what our bodies are for. Look back at verse 19 and 20. And in verse 19 and 20, he tells us that our bodies and sex do not exist for self-serving, self-obsessed pleasure. He says our bodies and sex exist for the Lord. In verse 19 and 20 of chapter six, Paul tells us that the human body is designed to be the habitation of the most exalted being in the universe. Think about that for a second. That's what your body exists for, to be the dwelling place for the most high God. And then our current conversation about sex and marriage and singleness, he roots in the context of gifting. And I'm not just making that up. Look at verse seven of chapter seven with me. In verse seven, Paul, speaking of his marital status, which is single, and by the way, we could preach a sermon on how Paul found himself single. Because for Paul to have functioned in the realms of the Jewish world that he did, almost every scholar agrees that he would have had to have been married. So I don't know if his wife died 
or if when he chose to follow Jesus, his wife divorced him, but Paul, by the time he's writing to the Corinthians, is single, right? And he says, I wish that you guys were like I am, single. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So he anchors everything he's telling us about sex and singleness and marriage in the realm of gifts. Hey, God has appointed gifts for all of you. The question is, are we able and willing by God's grace to receive the gifts he's appointed for us and to steward them? He he orients our conversation in terms of gifts. Look at verse 29 of chapter seven. I mean, this, this is amazing. He orients everything he's saying to us about sex and singleness and marriage in terms of the coming day of the Lord. He says, I want you to understand that my commandments, my admonitions, my exhortations are all rooted in the fact that the appointed time is coming soon. And then man, don't miss this. In verses 32 to 35 of chapter seven, Paul says, I write all this to you because I want you to be free from anxiety. I want want to free you up where you're bound up and twisted up and isolated and confused, the Apostle Paul says. I want you to be free from anxiety. And then he says in verse 35, I want to promote and secure for you undivided devotion to the Lord. That's his goal. If you wanna know why Paul's writing, which I think it's pretty critical, before we try to presume what he's saying, that we understand why he's saying it. And you don't have to guess with Paul because he just puts it on the table. He's like, this is why I'm telling you this. I want you to be free from anxiety. I want you to receive and steward the gift that God's given you in a way that honors him and brings you joy. I wanna secure for you undivided devotion to the Lord. Now one last thing before I get into our two points, and this is important, because anytime we gather as a church, we're always having two conversations with you. And what I mean is, we're speaking to those of you who follow Jesus and understand the authority and the glory of God and its role in your life, and we're making appeal to you based on God's authority there. But we also have people in this room with us all the time that aren't followers of Jesus. And where you are in your own journey, you may be trying to figure out if you believe in God at all. You may be trying to navigate how his authority functions in your life. You may be trying to figure out what this means for you in this moment. And so that's a different conversation that I'm having with someone who says, hey, God created me. I exist for his glory. He is the king of the universe. And his word speaks authoritatively and without error to me. Two different conversations all the time. But when it comes to sex, let's be honest and say, the stakes seem heightened, at at least in today's climate. And I don't wanna say anything to pretend that they're not. I I just wanna say to those of you in this room that aren't followers of Jesus, Paul rooting everything in the belief that your body's not your own is obviously not gonna be a starting place for you. And man, your life would be so much better if it was. But there's, there's, still, there's still tons for you to hear and tons for you to learn if you're not willing to go there yet. 
one of the biggest benefits you get to hear and learn is how God speaks to his people in his word. Like, man, how, how do these people have family meetings? Well, you have it right here. So if you're with us this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, man, my, I pray that you would see that in the church for real, for real, or in Christianity as it's outlined in the scriptures, God doesn't have a repressive view of sex. In fact, in a, in a culture that was struggling with sex, it's kind of staggering to see that Paul writes a really sex-positive set of exhortations to these people um, that, that are not misogynistic and empower abuse. Which, by the way, those of you in the room that are Christians, I'm not talking to you. Which, let's, let's start with a couple of things. Guys, this is not some passage of scripture that you quote at your wife to fulfill your desires and your demands. I mean, this, this text in particular has been used in horrific ways in the history of the church to sanction abuse, and that's not what God's saying here. Like, we gotta feel the mutuality here, and, and to understand that Paul is presuming a certain submission to God that's not gonna wag your Bible at your wife and say, didn't you read this passage? Which if that's the spot you're in, brothers, tap a pastor on the shoulder and ask for help. With, with no shame or fear of condemnation, tap a pastor on the shoulder and say, hey, I, I realize even as we heard Paul's words that I don't have a biblical understanding of sex or myself or my marriage, how kind God would be to meet us in that spot. I got lots of words for lots of other people, but I also got a clock staring me in the face and we haven't even started. Should we start? <laughs> You're like, longest introduction ever. Well. I'm the guy that's always gonna fight for nuance in any conversation. My wife might tell you that I wanna over-nuance every conversation, but this is one to me that's worth nuancing. Agreed? Cool, so I'm, I'm alone here. I appreciate either your unbelievable quiet, which should change, or your unwillingness to lie and say you agree with me when you don't. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, and we're going to talk about stewarding the gift of sex within marriage, and then we're going to talk about stewarding singleness. Verse 1, Paul says, now concerning matters about which you wrote, and then he's going to quote something that the Corinthians have written Paul's not making a statement of fact necessarily. He's not stating his opinion necessarily. He's saying, you wrote to me and said, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And Paul says, let me speak to that. And he's addressing this view in Corinth that's like, man, if you wanna be holy, you just stop having sex altogether. Paul says, no one's experience bears that out. And what Paul says is sex isn't something to be abandoned in the context of marriage. It's something to be stewarded in the context of marriage. And Paul tells us in verse two that the best defense against sexual immorality is for married people to have sex with their spouses. Look, look at verse two and three with me. He says, but because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And then he tells us in verse three that sex within a marriage, sexual intimacy within a marriage, is not just some privilege relegated for married people, it's an obligation, it's a duty. And hey brothers, if you're like eagerly jotting notes that you think your wife should hear later, you're missing it. You're missing it. It's, it's, a, it's a mutual duty. Listen to what Paul says in verse three or read it for yourself. 
The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. Do you hear that? Not that the husband should demand what he's owed. The husband should focus on what he owes. This isn't about your rights, men, and we're gonna get to you ladies in a second. This is about your wife's rights. You should give her what she's owed. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise, the wife to her husband. God has given us within marriage an obligation to serve the other person with our body. God has given us an obligation in marriage to serve the other person with our body. And listen to me. You can tell from what Paul says later in verse five about abstaining from sexual intimacy in the marriage that he believes this to be a duty that's regular and not intermittent. Paul believes this to be a duty that's regular and not intermittent. Am I gonna define regular for you? No. (laughs) Nope. You already got me to preach it. You're not gonna get me to hang myself. I'm not gonna preach, I'm not gonna define regular and I'm not gonna define intermittent, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna place before you what God's word tells you that in the context of marriage, you've been given a gift that you get to steward for God's glory and for your joy. And it's about self-emptying love to serve your partner. And hey, guys, this isn't like, the, again, this isn't the checkbox that she's supposed to hear. This is the checkbox that you're supposed to hear. Let your wife listen to God's word on her own. You listen to God's word for you right now. I don't get an amen now. <laughs> like th- this is mutually applicable. It is a duty. And if you look at verse four, Paul gives us the ground for this. Look at verse four. He's already told us in, in 6, 19 to 20, that if you're in Jesus, you don't belong to yourself. But now look what he says. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Paul Paul moves beyond saying you're not your own. You've been bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body, to now saying you don't just get to live before the Lord as if, you're stewarding this thing on your own if you're married. Because if you're married, Paul says, your spouse has a say in how you steward what God's given you. Listen to this. In the marriage vows, we did something irrevocably radical and life-altering for all times. We gave up the exclusive rights to ourselves. In the marriage vow, this is like a, an amalgamation of three different authors on the same topic. In our marriage vows, we did something irrevocably radical and life-altering that exists until we die. We gave up the exclusive rights to ourselves. Now listen to what this scholar says. Both husband and wife are to recognize that their spouse has a greater claim on them than they have on themselves. Neither can claim to have authority over his or her own body and disavow further sexual relationship with the marriage partner. Paul says, you know how you deal with sexual immorality in the church and in the city? Husbands and wives should understand their obligations for sexual intimacy with one another and it's an opportunity to serve. 
It's an opportunity to give of yourself, not demand for yourself. It's an, it's an opportunity to empty out yourself for God's glory, not demand that somebody else measure up to your desires. And sex in marriage, just like everything else in marriage, works best when, by God's grace, we yield to the other one. We serve the other one. We defer, we let them prefer, and we don't just make demands. Paul's saying, if you're married, brothers and sisters, you have a gift that you've been entrusted to steward with one another. And oh, how terribly we steward this gift in our lives with attitudes, with demands, with sinful worldviews. Like if, if your worldview has been shaped by pornography, you have previous repentance and work to do before you can presume to walk in the fullness of what Paul's outlining for how you steward the gift here. It's weighty, I understand. But again, God isn't giving you this word to like turn up the volume on your biggest sin or biggest struggle and then rub your nose in it. He's giving you this word for your healing, for your joy, for your freedom. He's giving you this word not because he hates you or hates sex, but because he invented sex and because he loves you. Man, there's, there's lots for us here. I, I wish I had time and I wish someone besides Brittany was in the room with me. <laughs> hey, look at verse five and I'm gonna move on. Hey, because this isn't really important. Paul's told us already that sex just isn't merely for procreation. It's for union, it's for recreation, it's for covenant affirmation. But he also tells us in verse five, it's for warfare. Sex isn't just about your desires. There's a component of sex in the context of marriage that has everything to do with spiritual warfare. And I mean that in two ways. First of all, look at the back half of chapter seven, verse five. Paul says, hey, make sure that if you're abstaining from sex for any purposes, which we're gonna get to in a minute, make sure that you come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I'm gonna tell you something, Satan despises marriage. He despises marriage. Satan despises sex. That's why porn is so prevalent, not because Satan loves sex, but because Satan hates sex. That's why porn is everywhere in his demonic, deranged belief that he can destroy it, but God's word will prevail, and God's will will prevail. But like, there is, a, there, is a, there is a degree to which married couples participate in sexual intimacy for the sake of fighting back darkness. At least some brother can give me an amen there. This is a heavy sermon. Like, like sexual intimacy to push back darkness? Anybody with me? Okay, amen. Ladies, anybody with me? Okay, I got, there's a couple with me. But then check this out, because this is something I don't think anyone ever pays attention to. He says, don't deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And I know tons of marriages, tragically, where sex hasn't happened in weeks or months or years. But the reason that sex is absent in the marriage is not because the couple has prayerfully said, how do we obey this verse? 
In fact, of the married couples that are struggling with sex and not having it, they don't even know this verse is in the Bible. But, but read it again. Underline it if you dare and ask yourself, what might God do in our church and in our city and in our region if we understood that in the gift he's given us to steward in the context of marriage, he's also entrusted a power for a unique kind of prayer that husband and wife have together that I don't think we've explored what that would look like at all. He says, hey, you you should give one another what's owed to one another. You guys should have sex in your marriage. And the only time you shouldn't is when you're focused on not jumping into bed, but kneeling beside your bed and asking God to move. And like, man, this, the scriptures are oddly clear about the power of the union of a couple's prayers. And I just, I wonder, I mean, this isn't me wagging my finger at anybody. I'm saying to someone who's been married almost 20 years and been in ministry at the same time, like, I, I don't know what this looks like for a church. What, what might God do if we would learn to steward sex in our marriages in such a way that we had it to God's glory and we abstain from it for the purpose of prayer and spiritual warfare? So much I want to explore there, but I don't have, I don't have time. God, God would, you, would you awaken something in our body in this season? In, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians where you awaken us freshly to your glory, you awaken us freshly to your presence, you awaken us freshly to your power, you give us clarity on what you've appointed for sex in our marriages, and that you would, by your grace, enable us to have more God-glorifying sex in our lives, and you would enable us, by your grace, to abstain from sex for the purpose of intercession and war. And would we see people come to faith and people be healed and your gifts dispersed in our midst unto your glory because of those prayers. Help us, God, we are weak, we're confused. We're like kids. So would you take us by the hand and walk us, I ask, in Jesus' name. So much to say here, man. Let's move for a second and talk about the second gift that Paul calls us to steward. Look at verse six of first Corinthians seven. He says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. Meaning, what's about to follow is Paul just speaking about his opinion, not giving authoritative commands from God as he's done previously. But the funny thing is, this is in the Bible, secured for us and inspired by the Holy Spirit and preserved for us, so now we still gotta deal with it. It's not like you can go, oh, well, that's just Paul's opinion. No, this is God's word. And so Paul says, I I say this as a concession, not a command, but then he makes a point that's like, how can you argue with this? He says, I wish that everybody was like me. Meaning, I wish that everyone was single. Which is a, a crazy thing to say in light of him knowing that God spoke into creation, it's not good for man to be alone. Paul knows that. And now Paul's saying, it's good to be alone. But he means in a particular context for its particular purpose. And Paul's saying, I have received my gift of singleness and I'm stewarding it for God's kingdom. I mean, turn to Philippians chapter three. Because I think in Philippians chapter three, we get a portrait of when Paul says, I wish you were like me, here's what he means. 
He says in Philippians 3, 8, he counts everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And Paul's like, man, I wish there were more people like me who lost everything, who lost their status for Jesus' sake and counted it all gain. And then he comes down in verses 12 to 14 and says, hey, I haven't figured all this out. I'm not perfect, but here's what I'm doing. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Here's Paul saying, I wish you were like me. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Hey, who among us that's been given the gift of singleness in this moment would be willing to steward it like that? I wanna make as much of Jesus and get as much from Jesus and share the truth of Jesus with as many as I can until God entrusts me with different obligations. Because your singleness, brothers and sisters, is a gift, it's a set of obligations gifted to you by Jesus. And my guess is like, <laughs> a lot of you are going, can I, is this a white elephant party? Can I pick another one? I remember this was years ago. I mean, we have thousands of stories like this on Christmas. But I remember years ago, I was gathered together with my family. We're all open in presents. My sister and her family's there. And my brother-in-law opens this gift from my parents. And it was amazing. And, and I, I didn't realize the degree to which I was fawning over the gift in the living room. I was like, man, that's unreal. That's awesome. That's unbelievable. My mom says, hey, don't worry. You got one too. And I see the box, and I go and open it, and open it. It's not the same. It's not the same at all. <sighs> I'm just looking at his, trying to think how I can be grateful for this one. My, my parents are in the room, by the way. It's cool, we sorted it out. But I remember thinking like, can I trade? That's not what I want. What am I supposed to do with this? I, I, I know what I could do with that. It'd be amazing. It's not like it costs any different. Why, why, why not give me that one? I mean, like, if you're in the spot where you're single and you're saying, well, I just want that other gift. The healing word of the Lord to you in this moment is you, you have opportunities by his grace to steward the gift he's given you. And you have a father who is not threatened by your honesty at all. You can tell him in prayer. You don't like the gift he's given you. And then you can in prayer and by faith steward the gift he's given you. Even if you tell him you'd rather have another gift. Like single, single brothers and sisters here, I long to see you understand that singleness is not a waiting period before something else if you're prioritizing marriage. Or it's not like the winning lottery ticket if you're talking to your friends who are married and you despise marriage. Singleness is a gift distributed to you in the kingdom of God for the purposes of the kingdom of God, the same as marriage is. How can you steward your singleness for God's glory? Yeah, that's right, that's right. So, and, and that's if you're single because of death or divorce. That's if you're single. Paul's gonna talk to people in, in 1 Corinthians 7.25 who are engaged. That's what he's gonna mean by betrothed. So if you're, if you're single, meaning you're not married yet, but you're engaged, 
if you lost a spouse, or if you're just for whatever reason in this spot. I had someone say to me this morning, man, like, I just long to see singleness not either like deified in the church and treated like it's God or treated like it's weird. Like what, what if God has entrusted you with that gift for his glory now that you steward it? You steward it. I've got a friend who a couple of years ago said to me, she said, hey, I'm single. I do not have the obligations that Katie Colley has. I don't have kids. I don't have a husband. I'm gonna spend my life working in refugee camps until God calls me to do something different, until he gives me a different gift. And, and she would tell you if she was standing right here with me right now, I wanna be married. She's like, I, I will steward this gift with all my might until he gives me a different one. And if he doesn't give me a different one, he knows better than I do. But, but single brothers and sisters, like you don't get to act married sexually. Like I, I've already said that God's word to the married people is you shouldn't act single sexually. You should act married sexually. And single people, you don't get to act married sexually. And for those of you that weave back and forth between struggling with profound sexual sin and like declaring abstinence forever and like back into struggles with sexual sin and temptation, God gives you this word not to blow you up and shame you. He gives you this word to heal you. Like every corrective word from the mouth of God is a healing word. And I just wonder, I'll land the plane here. I wonder what it would look like if we, by God's grace, in community, labored to walk in the power of the Spirit and, and steward our gifts together in the family of God. Turn to 1 Peter chapter four. It's one of my favorite couple of verses in the Bible for a lot of reasons, but I should highlight verse 10. It's page 1016 in my Bible. I don't know if that helps you at all. Probably doesn't, but you needed a second to get there. I wanted to provide some comedic relief. 1 Peter chapter four, verse 10. Check this out. This is the word of the Lord. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. If we could step out of the context of sexual union for a second, lest things get really weird. If you think about the gift of your marriage, how could you steward that to benefit others and serve others with God's varied grace? And if you think about the gift of your singleness, how could you use that to serve others and benefit others with God's varied grace? Hey, listen to me, this is true. Sex will always ultimately disappoint you. And marriage, however great it may be, will always ultimately disappoint you. Because we weren't created for sex and marriage ultimately. We were created for union with the God of the universe, that that union is so beautiful and so glorious and so profound. Sex and marriage were things he thought up and invented to give us a trailer as a preview of coming attractions. And that's why in Jesus, no one is truly single. And in heaven, no one is truly married the way we see it now. What, what must God be like that he invites us to live and walk with him in this way. Let's pray. 
Jesus so much on the plate. And I just ask right now, before we would shuffle and do communion or anything else, Spirit of the living God, that you would take each of us by the hand. You would take our, draw us up close, take our faces in your hands. Look us in the eyes and speak truth to us. And for those in this room that need healing for where they've been hurt or where they're broken, would you bring healing and would you let times of refreshing come because of the healing you institute? For those that need to repent this morning, God, I ask that by your grace you wouldn't let them try to barter or gamble or cut deals with you or agree to white knuckle things and walk out differently. Would you enable them to respond to you by your grace and help? Minister to us now, God, through communion and through the ministry of the saints. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.